0: Radio Days Africa podcast is brought to you by the Vids Radio Academy.
1: Three,
2: two.
1: Radio. 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 <laughs> Radio. Radio.
0: <laughs> Radio Days Africa 2020 is about to go live.
3: Welcome once again to Radio Days Africa, the virtual edition. It's the sixth webinar of the conference, and I'm Franz Kruger, Director of the Witz Radio Academy, and we're very pleased to host Africa's biggest radio gathering. I'm very excited to be here and to have this discussion today. You'll find full program and registration details on the website www.radiodaysafrica.co.za. Just four um, preliminary housekeeping kind of points. Firstly, please, we really do welcome your input, your thoughts, um, there will always be opportunities to make points and ask questions through the chat function and through the Q&A um, function at the bottom of your zoom screen. Uh, we've also opening a voice note line uh, for your thoughts or comments. The number is 79 If you're uh, sending something in from outside the country, you would have to add a plus 27 to the front of that. So the number 079-528-000. We're hoping to extend the discussion to social media. The hashtag is RDA2020. Another hashtag is um, the new normal. And just so that you know, we are recording the conversation so people can listen back after the session. Firstly, a couple of thanks are due. Um, firstly, to the Sub-Saharan Africa Media Program of the Conrad Adenauer Foundation, who have been long-standing supporters of um this event we're also grateful to acknowledge the support of iono fm the abundant media group who are distributing the conference proceedings to community radio stations around south africa on their vivid channel we're grateful to the support of rcs sound software crossfade studios and of course the national association of broadcasting today our topic is rules regulations or red tape I wondered how many people know that the sinking of the Titanic over hundred years ago in 1912 provided a key impetus in the development of radio and specifically the regulation of broadcasting. Of course, as everybody knows, the supposedly unsinkable luxury liner hit an iceberg and sank and hundreds of people drowned. Because the passengers at the time included a large number of the world's most rich and famous, the event attracted huge attention, amateur radio operators began exchanging information on developments, clogging the airwaves with what we would today call fake news. It became difficult to keep channels of communication open and this helped for the creation of America's Federal Communications Commission, the FCC. Since then, much water has flowed under the bridge. In South Africa, our current framework is now almost 30 years old, though of course there have been many changes on the way. Recently, there've been renewed calls for the system to be reviewed in the light of the need to accelerate the country's digital transformation. Not so long ago, Andy Lidnaba, who's played a prominent role in the sector, said he it should simply be closed down and the new digital regulator established. So the ongoing question really is, is the system fit for purpose? Is it giving us the broadcasting, the radio broadcasting landscape and environment um, that we want and that we need? That's the focus of our discussion today. Let me introduce the people who are joining me for the discussion. I'm not going to read lengthy bios, you can look them up, um, but just a line or two on each. Um, first is Nadia Bulbulia, who's the executive director of the National Association of Broadcasters. She's been, in, been involved in the field of regulation for a really long time, including being on the boards of several bodies, including the IBA um, and I think ICASA too. Dudu Tsang Makuse is national coordinator of the SOS Support Public Broadcasting Coalition, the leading civil society voice on broadcasting matters. And finally, Violet Moleti is Senior Manager for Policy ICT at The Regulator, the Independent Communications Authority of South Africa. You're all three very welcome. Thanks for joining us, for giving us your time um, and your insights. I have to say that I think every discussion these days has to begin with COVID. And so I was going to ask each of you firstly, very briefly, just to say, what is the most important impact that COVID is having on radio. Not at any great length, just a point. And Nadia, let's start with you.
0: Sure, thank you. And thank you so so much, Franz, it's great to be here. Um, And I think what a great introduction and thanks for reminding us about the sinking of the Titanic. We remain hopeful that there'll be no such uh, calamities as we've as we struggle through this uh, global pandemic. I think um, Franz, the one thing we've seen, um, and since we're talking about regulation and policy, is just how reactive and responsive the regulator has been, in fact. So when the state of uh, national disaster was declared, ICASA had already um, called for all broadcasters to issue public service announcements, PC, PSAs. Uh, in addition, ICASA also um, enabled a little bit more flexibility in terms of the monitoring and compliance environment. I'm sure you're aware that this is a very reg- regulated industry and radio broadcasters have to submit consistently monitoring reports, compliance reports, et cetera, et cetera. So it was really great to see ICASA actually uh, giving some sense of relief given the 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 extraordinary environment we're in. At the same time, broadcasters themselves, and I think we've all observed this, have really risen to the challenge in terms of communicating during this time of of crisis and emergency. We've seen a great deal of public uh, service um, awareness campaigns, educational programming. And so what would normally have been very kind of commercial um, has also pivoted in the right direction to make sure that there's good, credible uh, information, communications going out to all citizens uh, around the pandemic. Uh, The NAB, which is the National Association of Broadcasters, its own members as well, uh, when the pandemic started, had a great anthem campaign, was really just to kind of get the nation behind the campaign and the fact that we're all in this together. Uh, They also did a wonderful um, campaign around uh, gender-based violence. Uh, Regrettably, this is as even our own president said, another pandemic in in the crisis of all of this. So I think broadcasters and the regulator and the policymaker actually acted very responsibly um, and I think very uh, you know, meaningfully, and I'll stop there.
3: So, full marks there from the NAV for <laughs> um, for everybody concerned. Um, Duru, what do you think? What what has been the impact of COVID um, on radio broadcasting?
2: So, I think COVID has done two things, which um, you know are fairly sort of. One is is obvious in the sense that we've always considered radio an intimate medium, but now more than ever, we suddenly realise just how intimate, um, the radio platform is above all other platforms, in fact. Um, And it has become really more than just the trusted friend to families and communities. It's the go-to place for credible information. But also if you think about uh, community radio, it's also now, you know, the neighbor that sort of can confirm what government is doing on the ground, what CBOs are doing on the ground and really how to marshal resources and how to mobilize people um, around accessing you know, greater healthcare care and, and, and really res- responding to the pandemic. So it, once again, it's, it's, it's punching above its weight and proving that it's a great medium, particularly for, for times of crisis. And I think the second thing is that COVID is revealing the fault lines um, in the sense that if you think about the baseline uh, community level sector, uh, where a lot of the public uh, interest type of content would come from, that's also the sector that's hit the most in terms of uh, getting uh, resources to support staff, but also to support just the basic costs of getting broadcasts um, onto the airwaves. So those are the two things that I think, um, if you look at the public interest perspective of of radio, those are the two things that are being highlighted by this pandemic.
3: So in a sense, radio comes into its own at a time of crisis. I mean, we've seen that very often before. Uh, And what you're saying is that that's the case um, this time also. Of course, I was immediately going to say um, that while that's the case, many stations are struggling. I mean, there are commercial stations struggling and there are community stations struggling. So there is the need, but there sometimes isn't the capacity to respond. But I think we can explore those further as we go along. Violet, from your perspective, from a regulator perspective, are are you giving the sector the same high marks that Nadia does? Just unmute yourself. Yes,
1: go ahead. Uh, um, I think from um, the regulator side, what COVID taught us was that um, as a regulator, you need to be flexible in terms of like, coming up with different regulations. As Nadia has indicated, we're able to give uh, the broadcasters a number of exemptions. For instance, the community broadcasters, even though we had regulations regarding syndication, and in those regulations, in terms of the community radio, we have said that you cannot syndicate your programming, um, at least you need 20%, but we are able to move that to 45%, increasing that. And then we're able to release spectrum for um, mobile operators. And also in terms of recordings, because we are expecting our licenses to give us quarterly recordings of their programming That has been suspended because of COVID-19, and we are aware that we are operating in an abnormal um, environment. So we also need, as the regulator, to be flexible in our regulations.
3: Flexibility is a great thing, and I must admit that regulators are not often known for their flexibility. (laughs) Um, But it's great, it has been great to see the kind of measures that you've taken. I wanted to come back to that later, but um, let's deal, stay with that for the minute, um, since you've both, uh, two of you have raised it. Firstly, a practical question, Violet. I mean, as far as I understand, the the frequency that was made, um, the uh, special the special frequency space that was made available to, to um, particularly network operators was was due made available for three months. Um, now it's clear that you know this this crisis is not going to be end not not ending anytime soon. Uh, firstly, have you extended that? And secondly, uh, what happens after uh, after those three months or the extended three months then come to an end?
1: Yes, um the the extension was for three months, but because we are still in this pandemic, um this is just my personal thought. I think it can be, it will be extended for, I don't know, until because even at the Casa are now working from home. Uh, We had thought that we'll be back in the office in July. Unfortunately, it has not happened. So even in terms of like releasing the spectrum, the spectrum might be released. Uh, We had set three months until the end of June. We are already in July and um, the spike of COVID-19 is increasing rapidly. So I think the spectrum will still be released. We are just waiting to hear from our council what they decide to do.
3: Will this um, uh, temporary allocation affect the planned auction um, of high demand spectrum that was planned for later this year? Um,
1: It might, depending on what council decides to do, because we had planned uh, for this year that we are going to auction the spectrum. We've even announced it in the newspaper that it's going to be the spectrum is going to be auctioned later this year. But from the reality is that um, in the situation that the country and the world is currently, we might need to extend it further.
3: I guess there is so much uncertainty that it's really hard yes. um, mm. to predict. Um, but it did. I did wonder about that because, of course, once um, network operators have got that extra space going to be very hard for them to to kind of give it back. Um, and Nadia, just if you look if you're looking at this package of measures uh, that that Violet has outlined, I mean the the relaxation of some of the requirements, um, frequency being uh, space being made available, and so on and so forth. Um, is it a good package? Is, was would there be something else that, from an NAB perspective, you would have liked to have seen?
0: I think you know the the point is and and. We keep having to remind ourselves that we have a common enemy. And right now, that common enemy is this virus. It's unpredictable. Uh, We really don't know how long the state of disaster will continue. In terms of the act itself, the state of disaster can be renewed on a month by month, etc. This is a moving target. I think the the measures that ICAS has put in place have been extremely helpful to an industry like this, which is three-tiered where you're right, community broadcasters have really suffered enormously. We are happy to see that the MDDA managed to do some relief funding. Of course, it doesn't go to the extent to which more than 200 community stations are really affected. We've seen what's happened to the public broadcaster. Um, we need a really strong public broadcaster, of course. Um, and we know that the regulator has actually been very open and receptive to the recommendations made by the industry itself. And so I think that this they will consider as we move along, it will be a case by case uh, scenario. You know, we also need to recognize that this industry is an absolute advertising freefall. The entire three system depends on advertising revenues. With the lockdown and the shutdown, advertising just plummeted. Uh, When you talk about relief measures and you talk about packages and you talk about funding, this industry has not received any direct funding, so to speak. Um, there have been these concessions, there have been me- measures that, that the regulators put in place. Um, we have consistently pushed, because we're part of work streams with government, around how they can assist even further. There was an interim relief for Spectrum for Community Broadcasters by Centec. Again, all of these are moving targets, um, and we just have to be bold enough to, to make hard decisions during this time. Because to the point that Dudu made, in a time of crisis, your go-to is your traditional media, and we've seen that because it's credible, it's responsible, um, and we've seen that it still reaches the majority of our citizens.
3: So um, radio broadcasters and I suppose television broadcasters should be getting subsidy under these circumstances, is that what you're saying?
0: I'm saying that there needs to be a lot more creative thinking, and France, you know, we've been in this industry for more than 25 years. We've had countless discussions about special funds for the production of content. We've had countless discussions around how to ensure that our public broadcaster is truly funded through the public purse. Here we are having this conversation 25 years later. We've had countless discussions around how we need to inject more resources into community broadcasting, which is at the coal face of our communities and is so needed. Um, this here is a matter of the public purse. We're, we're in a crisis. We're needing to feed people. We're talking about a basic income grant right now. And so this is about how government needs to balance all of these competing needs and interests. That's, that's the reality. We don't have enough money in this country. Regrettably, we're still seeing it's like a sif, Money in, money flows out. Um, so these are much bigger issues. And they take, as I said, bold leadership through treasury through making the right decisions from a fiscal point of view.
3: Mm. Tudu, what else would you like to see in terms of support um, from the regulator, and perhaps from elsewhere, for um, for the for the for the difficult situation that radio broadcasters find themselves in?
2: I think, as a whole, we do need a coherent, um, non siloed approach to 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 mobilising the resources because they're limited. Um, when you talk about you know, putting some type of relief for the sector, it's not just the broadcasters that have to you know, be attended to. It's literally the individual journalists and producers that are inside those broadcasters who are the ones that are going to suffer the most. So for one, we definitely need to find a way where we bring um, all, all the, the, the players in the broadcasting sector together to develop a coordinated approach that governments can attend to. Um, I think in terms of what the regulator has been doing right now, Obviously we, we, we know that you know, nobody can see into the future. And so having you know, a framework that allows for adjustment as things develop is great and it's good. But I think we also need to start thinking about what it's gonna look like after this, whether it's in 12 months or 24 months, the writing's on the wall that we do need some significant uh, and rather radical changes in terms of how we regulate the sector. We can no longer regulate as if we're not in a digital environment. We are in one. And unfortunately, for the longest time, we've regulated as if digital was still coming to the continent because of the infrastructural lags that don't allow people to be online. But people are online and people are wanting to move online. So a lot of these beautiful policies that we have, some of the processes that have stopped halfway, just like you know the, the 2015 ICT policy review, for example, those are things that actually need to be concluded and implemented. Because we keep talking about them, and the the target moves, and this time it's moving exponentially because of the of the pandemic. So I do think at some point we will have to consider, you know, having a converged digital regulator that is fit for purpose. We don't need to tear down ICASA to do that. It's just a matter of updating the legislation that we have: update the ICASA Act, update Section One Eight Nine of the uh, one ninety two of the Constitution, update the ECA update the broadcasting act so that it's fit for purpose for the environment. That will also, I think, take a lot of pressure off for the regulator to not be in a position where they're regulating an analog environment while trying to prepare for a digital future.
3: Thanks very much. I mean let's let's go in that direction um and and think about the shape of regulation, which is really at the heart of the discussion today. Um, and just a, a very quick reminder to to everybody who's Who's listening into the session? I mean, if you want to send us a voice note, uh, please do. That would be very welcome. 079 528 0000 would be the number. But let's t- talk about the shape of regulation. Um, Nadia, you've been part of this discussion, um, as you say, for a really long time. I mean, and there were certain hopes and dreams that were expressed um, you know, when this, this system was designed. Um, Do you think the regulator or the regulatory system, let's say, has delivered the kind of broadcasting that was envisaged at the time?
0: Absolutely. I think that, um, let's not forget, we do have a very robust, highly competitive three-tier system Um, that was only... Realized through the enabling legislation of the former IBA Act. And of course, you know, there was convergence with the IBA and SATRA into ICASA and to, to the point that Dudu is making how do we now review everything 27 years in? Um, I think that, you, you know, we still, unfortunately, France have the same core challenge around the viability and sustainability of a good public broadcaster. And I think that for me, the, the really disappointing thing is that we've had to have this conversation for 27 years. Um, I think that for for community broadcasting, absolutely thriving. However, there was a time we all thought that there was just way too much licensing happening. And that's why I think ICAST has reviewed that. And they've got a new position around how they're licensing community broadcasters. We are, you know, we're moving into this this, this age now, which is no longer analog. Um, We are now looking at the issue of what used to be called spectrum scarcity. And people are talking about abundance. Um, the, the, the reason data for actually regulating was about managing spectrum efficiently, effectively. Um, We talk about the fault lines the huge inequalities because of COVID and because of us all having to be working from home. And the reality is the majority of our people do not have access. Mm -hmm. We have failed, uh, you know, we've got great policy intent. It's about implementation. We've seen this over and over again, uh, the broadband policy, the getting everybody online, the devices in every child's hand, etc. We're not short of great ideas. We're short of implementation. And absolutely we have to review, the whole world is reviewing the regulatory and policy system, but there's some core issues that we need to be mindful of. And they go to the freedom of expression, the rights for all of us to have access to good information, credible information, the right to, to, uh, to, to express ourselves, our cultural heritage, our language, all those core principles still have to be within the system. No matter where we're shifting it to, that's mm-hmm. still very core and has to be protected um, and continue to be enabled.
3: So you mentioned the SABC, and you say um, you, know, nothing, you know we still are having the same debates that we did so long ago. Why is that? I mean, why why hasn't there been movement? Why are we not moving forward with it?
0: I'll let you to jump in right there. <laughs> the million dollar
2: question. I think there's a lot of reasons why we haven't moved forward. You know, besides the the obviously the, the political um, crises around the SABC. Um, The fact that, you know, we've had this Broadcasting Act, the KUNA, that allowed for so much uh, malfeasance to happen at the governance level, which we've now corrected. But fundamentally, we still have a problem around the funding model of the public broadcaster. And um, as well as the fact that, you know, we had an ANC policy that was talking about 60% government funding coming to the SABC. Or, you know, and now we're, we're sitting with a reality of 3%. Uh, coming from government and we're sitting with 18 or 17 percent coming from license fees so the hybrid model in as much as it looked like a good fit for purpose catch-all type of model is not working not for this environment anyway um, and so we're, we're sitting in a situation where we have to review the model and we have to review it while simultaneously getting the public broadcaster ready for the new reality that we're in which is a digital one and the fact that advertising might not actually return in the same kind of volumes that we've accustomed uh, to receiving advertising income, um, and that's a problem for all media. Unfortunately, is the advertising model itself is also broken. So when you are relying on an advertising business model, and you put on top of that a hybrid funding model, and then you add on to that, you know the 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 oversight um, mechanisms and 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 loopholes and obligations that the SABC. As a public broadcaster has to contend with, then you have very little room for being nimble and being flexible, and you have a lot of room for people to exploit um, any 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 loopholes and anything that is not quite neatly tied up. And so, it's really a, a slow process of getting to to streamline the structure of the SABC, streamlining the systems inside of the SABC, and really making sure that we go back to the core our focus and the, the whole point of having a public broadcaster, which is to have, you know, a public broadcaster that is people-centered and produces public interest content, which is vital for this time, vital even in the post-COVID environment, purely because of, you know, the info pandemic that we are gonna be facing afterwards. Um, so it, it, from, that, from that perspective, you, you sort of see the multi-layered um, kind of things that we have to unravel and, and deal with, but they are, they are being dealt with, I think, albeit so slowly.
3: So, Violet, I mean, I'm hearing um, Nadia and Dudu say that um, uh, there's no public money, really, um, forthcoming to fund the the SABC. Uh, The licensing, the the TV license scheme has failed, is failing. Uh, Advertising is collapsed. I don't know whether there are discussions at ICASA about these matters, whether there is a way forward, because it seems to be an insoluble problem. (laughs)
1: <laughs> um, thanks for that. I think for me, um, the whole broadcasting system needs to be re-looked at. It needs to be revamped. Because when you look at where we come from when we are opening up the airwaves in 1993, uh, by then the main focus there was to make sure that we have diversity of ownership in terms of broadcasting. We are, 20, we are now 27 years later. The act is still old we need to revamp the whole broadcasting market because now what you are seeing, you have your traditional broadcasters, your SABC, your commercial broadcasters, ETV, um, commercial radio. And now you, you now have new players who are coming into the market, although they're coming back door, for instance, your OTTs, your streaming services. And just the face of broadcasting as as a genre is really, really changing. So from the regulatory perspective, and also I think from the operator's perspective, we need to sit together and have a serious discussion as to what do we see as broadcasting in the digital age? Do you think that the regulations that we have currently, are are they fit for purpose? Personally, I feel that they're not fit for purpose, but then we also have this challenge, which is the policy side of things, because from, it aside. We implement what the policymaker has put out there. So we need to have a broader discussion that will involve the regulator, the policymaker, and the broadcasters. Because to be honest, um, it's just impossible to for all the broadcasters to be li- to be relying on the advertising cake. So everybody, when it's licensed, they are all running for the same source of revenue. Which, which is not sustainable at all. So we need to be looking at, like, the whole broadcasting market.
3: So I do want to push all three of you a little bit. I mean, what I'm hearing you a lot of you you're saying a lot of is we need to talk, we need to discuss, we need to review, we need to sit together, we need to be on the same page. But where, what are the ideas that actually one wants to put into that discussion to take us forward? So let's review the broadcasting market, but, I mean what what are the alternatives where are the good ideas um because i think just to call for yet more reviews and yet more uh, discussions i mean it doesn't really take us forward i mean let's venture some wild ideas here let's use the opportunity just Mm. to just put stuff out there that may be untested maybe crazy but let's try and get beyond just calling for another review in another meeting Nadia, looks; she's
0: got some yeah. good ideas. Yeah, no, I was just going to say, and, and thank you, and, and thanks, Violet. I mean, I think that Judo uh, also raised this earlier, you know, there's been this um, audio-visual paper that we're all waiting to be published. There's been this review. You'll recall, France, when the ICT, um, uh, National Integrated Review, happened, Broadcasting was then carved out of that because government then uh, un- uncoupled uh, what was the whole DOC and created a DOC and a DTPS, and now they're becoming a DCDT. And so when Violet talks about we implement what the policymaker does, I think we need to recognise that there has been a huge problem, quite frankly, with the high turnover of ministers every time, with policy shifts, etc. Um, and that that is not the fault of the regulator. You know, this this is bigger than the regulator right now. So we're waiting for that um, audiovisual paper France to be published. The industry has been waiting for some years for that to happen. Uh, we understand that uh, there were a range of experts, you know, who, who sat in, in developing that after, as you know, lots of public input were ma- was made. The core issue right now, and again to what Violet raises, is that you've got a highly regulated industry competing with a totally unregulated industry. Mm. So you've got the likes of the Google, the Facebooks, all these multinationals. And we talk about advertising revenue being sucked out of the system. You already start talking about and and it's not a level playing field. Um, When you start talking about the fact that years ago, and I was a regulator then at, at the ICASA when we made recommendations around easing some of the ownership restrictions. We were in 2020. That never happened. Mamanda Langa was still the chairperson at the time, you know, you talk about a backlog of policies and regulations. Now, whose fault is that? And there has to be some really, you know, honest reflection. And we need to accept and acknowledge where things went wrong. Um, we see a lot of consolidation happening in other markets. We're talking about an industry right here who cannot sustain and afford many more players. Is mm-hmm. there time for a little bit more of that consolidation? Is there time to revision, reimagine what a public broadcaster will look like? France, you recall in 1995, we then recommended that some of the SABC stations be further, there, you know, people didn't like the word privatized. Mm-hmm. We look back at people talking about these are bloated uh, structures. How do we streamline that? And, and the point is that there are great ideas. We have consistently looked at this. It is a, a matter of again, sitting down and saying, these are the ones we're absolutely gonna go with. How do we move this forward? You don't have to be you know, ticking off a list of 10 huge developments, pick three, but move with it. And I think that's what we've been waiting for in this industry. Um, again, we have all suffered from poor policy movement and we need to recognize that. Mm-hmm.
3: Is this, uh, is uh, broadcasting over-regulated?
0: Of course. <laughs> Violet's
1: saying, of course.
3: <laughs> <It's>, <laughs> the regulator's
1: saying, of course.
3: <laughs> Violet, tell us about, of course. Um,
1: okay. <laughs> I think um, broadcasting is highly regulated in South Africa. For instance, uh, and this is mainly based on the, on the policy itself. Uh, for instance, um, we have regulation on advertising, which is like the, the lifeblood of, of the sector. You know, you have regulation on advertising that you cannot you can cannot exit so many minutes within an hour in terms of advertising. We understand the rationale. We understand where it comes from, especially when in terms of like, when you look at children, whereby you'll find that, when you have like a lot of adverts on children's programming, sometimes children are not, uh, you know, they cannot differentiate between what is real content and what is the, ad, the, 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 ad, the adverts. So um, then you, we go as far as coming up with regulations in terms of like um, the local content quotas. For me, that, that's a good thing because we want to promote um, local programming in South Africa. We want to promote the industry, the independent production. We want to make sure that if I'm in South Africa, I switch on television, I should be able to identify with with what is on television. But uh, there are instances where you find that some of the regulations are really unnecessary. For instance, if you look at like the community broadcasting the landscape of broadcasting is changing and to an extent that in terms of the act you still have you have to be um either community of interest or geographical community now if i'm geographical community as a licensee, i for instance i operate in sowetu let's say i have a license in sowetu but i can spill over to pretoria is it still a community of is still is it still a geographic community. So we need to look at all those regulations. We need to look at like, are they still relevant? For instance, if you talk about streaming, why should the regulator be able to regulate the our our broadcasters who are broadcasting analog and you are unable to regulate those who are streaming, those who are not even part of South Africa. So to be honest, I think our broadcasting landscape is highly regulated. And I feel that some of those regulations really need to be relaxed a little bit.
3: So you've mentioned advertising, the advertising regulations you as, as ones that you, you would relax, uh, perhaps also some of those categories of community radio. To mm-hmm. do you think you're regulated? And if so, what would you cut out of the regulatory system?
2: I definitely think we we're overregulated. I think obviously because the premise was to try and create an enabling um environment and to try and create an environment that's more accessible and that would foster some kind of growth and pluralism. It kind of makes sense how we ended up where we are um, but going forward, if we're going to maintain that same kind of rigor for you know the older players, then there is some kind of imperative to impose similar obligations, for example, saying having a public interest obligation on whoever wants to stream content into Mm. this country or having a co-development, you know—you need to co-produce local content in order for you to have um, your platforms be streaming here. Those are some of the things that we could potentially look into if we're unable to completely remove um, the parameters that we've set up for the analog players. Because on the other hand, as long as the analog environment exists, you have to regulate that scarce um, resource. But if we are moving completely into a, a digital environment, then suddenly we can talk about you know, public service media and the audio visual content space being regulated for the public interest. In other words, to encourage the types of content that would otherwise not be commercially viable, not necessarily be attracted to, attractive to advertisers or even whatever other you know, forms of revenue would pick up, but are still essential. Um, Particularly in a developing environment like ours, um, I would love to see, you know, a a Netflix or a Hulu not have the not not develop content because they are deciding to venture into a space, but develop it because they are in that market. So, if you're in this market, you should be supporting the developmental goals of this particular market. And likewise, if if you're a a bigger player, I can understand why they're complaining because they have a lot of obligations being imposed on them, and yet they're still trying to move into a digital environment where those digital only players just don't have those same kind of imperatives. So the ones that Violet is is mentioning, the ones that keep um, the existing players behind that are cumbersome to them, I think those things need to be removed as far as possible, particularly as we resolve the issue of spectrum scarcity. Um, And going into the digital space, if you're a wholly digital player, then you must have some kind of, and this is a global one, you must have some kind of local obligation in the spaces where you are operating in.
3: But isn't it a pipe dream to think that you can regulate the likes of Google and YouTube sitting um, in, in in Johannesburg or in South Africa? You can't.
2: Yeah, it's a pipe dream. But as, as their markets grow here, they will have a commercial interest in wanting to make sure that they are players that can stay in this space. The truth of the matter is we are a big market. The only reason why most of them are not here fully is because of our infrastructural backlogs if we had bandwidth in every house i trust netflix and google and everybody will be wanting to be in every household and that's their slow burn strategy so i don't think we should shortchange ourselves by thinking of we don't have a bargaining chip we do we have a very young uh, population that's going to be around for a while if you want to entrench yourself in, a, in an african market you definitely we want to be able to push back and say well we also have requirements about you being here. And those begin with foregrounding our public interest and what we feel is important for our people.
3: So Neil Johnson in the chat has shared a link to an article, which, um, which I'm unable to open at this point, but, um, but which uh, from the headline is talking really about the kind of international pressure on the likes of Google and Facebook mm-hmm. to begin to pay for news, which is a related issue, isn't it? I mean, a lot of the advertising money is flowing into those kind of pockets, and um, it's not actually available to to the people who are really um, telling the local story. Um, but I mean, I, I still want to stay with this topic um, and 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 come back to a point that Nadia said. I mean, you you've got a landscape where South African players, traditional players, are highly restricted, uh, competing against people from outside who are unrestricted. Now, if you have a choice between Restricting the external players, as Duda seems to be suggesting, or relaxing the restrictions on the local players— which is better? No, you know,
0: I think we 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 talk about we always talk about a level playing field. We always talk about fair competition, and I think the issue we need to focus on is what is market access. What is it that is acceptable when I come into your territory and start, you know? Um, to be quite frank, stealing your audiences. Um, there are, and we see this globally, and I'm, I'm glad that um, an article was posted on the chat, but this, this is a global debate and consideration. Just earlier I attended, there was an IIC Italian ch- chapter conversation, and they are coordinating between their digital technologies uh, authority, their communications authority, their competition authority, There is a convergence of the different authorities and government departments working collaboratively to deal with these issues. At the same time, when we talk about creating that level playing field, we need to look at then relaxing what these traditional broadcasters have had to endure for the last 27 years, and Violet's absolutely right. You've got to review and revisit and say, okay, what have we achieved? We have achieved these objectives. What do we do to ensure continued viability and sustainability? And we've got to think about South Africa first. Just to say, we've, we've been talking about Netflix and audiovisual as well. It's very much a radio conversation. And it's great to see that Blood in the Water, Queen Sono, all of these are like number one on the, on the Netflix global charts, et cetera. So there's a huge appetite and understanding. It's taken forever for people to appreciate and understand local selves. We need to see ourselves being reflected to ourselves. This is what's so important. Um, so, so that investment in local, I think, is again going to be throughout, you look at it in every every jurisdiction, people are concerned with their own languages, with their cultural identity. So that's gonna be given. What are the minimum thresholds We are very concerned with protection of children, so the point that Bart raised. What kinds of self-regulatory mechanisms are there in place to deal with the protection of children and minors? What are the issues around hate speech, disinformation? These are the core issues we're dealing with. What are the issues around credible news and information? Right now, and thankfully through government and the real 411, et cetera, we're dealing with the issues of disinformation on these online platforms. What do citizens need and want? Are citizens gonna pay for good news and information? I can tell you now, I put it on my radio and I listen to a range of services because I can switch channels. I have that choice. And that's what we want South Africans to always have. But we also need to ensure that we're investing consistently in content. And I think that's that's been a challenge because of the issue around the funding model again. But for local businesses to make a decision to advertise on our platforms before I start advertising on international platforms. These are key to business decisions that have to be made to buy this point about advertising. What's happening to the advertising and marketing industry in this country? Is it a South Africa first approach? With COVID, we're now seeing the most beautiful adverts that talk again about us reinvesting in ourselves in what it is we have to offer. And I think our kind of uh, fetishization, if you can call it, with everything foreign has to come to an end. And we see it now more than ever because we are the ones having to deal with this as South Africans first. So I think there are a few kind of common themes and threads, and we're seeing it globally, and we need to look at what it is that we as South Africans believe is the entry point for for real market entry on a fair level playing field because we cannot disadvantage uh, existing players. We we, we can't be doing that any longer.
3: So in practical terms, um, one is talking about setting up a kind of a a Chinese wall like the Chinese have, right? Where um, in order to to access this market for a Netflix, for a Google, you've got to go via um, some sort of controlled access point. Uh, and you only get to have access if you commit to local content and a couple of other things. Is that a realistic um, model? I mean, the whole world is basically global, globalized. I mean, why would this, I mean, and you say we're a big big market, but we're not really. I mean, not compared to the big markets of of, of, of many other countries. Um, and I'm not even talking about the Europeans and the North Americans. I mean, the lusophone countries. Um, those are huge markets. The Indian, you know, you know the, 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 the constellation of markets around India. Um, you know, is it really a, a, a feasible route to take to block access to people unless they meet a certain set of conditions?
0: Just to correct, I'm not saying that, I'm not suggesting that. I'm saying that, If you look at the trends and we see this globally, the content people want and love is local content. And we're seeing that. And every single audience uh, report will show you what it is people are watching. Top 10 selling product is South African. Uh, We watch South African, we listen to South African, we consume South African. In many markets there are, basic requirements for a level and a percentage of local content that has to to be on a platform. We are, of course, we live in a global economy. We we live in this incredible global village some people talk about. But the reality is there has to be some kind of balance. And many jurisdictions are dealing with that. And they're dealing with it head on. And I think there's a lot of complexity. And I think, again, this takes uh, an inter- a departmental approach within government as well, because these are big policy issues that have to be considered. Mm-hmm.
3: Well, certainly it's an international issue. You're quite quite correct. Just a quick reminder um, that uh, we're talking about uh, uh, rules, regulations and red tape. With Nadia Bulbulia of the NAB, Dudu Tsang Makuse of SOS and Violet Muleti of um, of ICASA. Um I, I'd like to talk um, about a couple of specific issues. I mean, we've talked about the response to COVID. Um, and uh, you know the effectiveness of that um uh, violet i'd like to just go back to one of the things that was in the news quite a lot and that was the regulator's handling of compliance in the community radio sector um last year the early part of the year i can't remember the date i mean there was a whole set of new regulations that were um that were that were that were passed um, and very quickly after that a number of radio stations were community radio stations were taken off air is it Casa happy with the way in which um, that was handled? Um,
1: remember, what uh, Nadia will know this: uh, when we were beginning to license community radio stations in the early 90s, 1993, 1994, there was we had like very stringent requirement for community broadcasting. And then when we converged, when we became a converged regulator, everybody was licensed. As long as we made the minimum requirement, then you'll be licensed. But what we then realized was that um, we had so many uh, community broadcasters. You'll find that for instance, I'll give you an example in an area in the VAL. VAL had like about 14 community radio stations, which were competing for the same uh, content. They were competing for the same advertising revenue and the reason why you have like three tiers of broadcast of broadcasting um, sector or in the broadcasting sector is because you want to see the diversity of news you want to see um plurality of news you want to to see the the people in that particular community be showcased case in the in the in the radio station So if we have 11 radio stations in one area, it really defeat the purpose. So what then happens was that um, in the community broadcasting uh, regulation, which were published last year in 2019, one of the recommendations that we made was to um, community broadcasters to um, come together. For instance, if you're operating in one area and it's about five of you, we, one of the recommendations that we made was that they must consolidate and maybe have one radio station. So hence, you saw that uh, most of the community radio stations were then taken off because of that particular recommendation that they must come together and become one radio station so that they shouldn't be competing for a slice of a pie when there are about 10 or 15 of them in one area.
3: I mean, at the time um, that I remember that, that wasn't part of the public pronouncements that ICASA se- uh, made. I mean, the, the, the statements that were made publicly were about a failure to comply, that stations were late with applications for renewal, that they weren't complying with the regulations. I can't recall having seen statements about stations failing um, to combine um, at the request of ICASA. That's one,
1: in terms of compliance, Normally, we don't take you off air immediately. There had been negotiations with those, with those community radio stations to say, comply. For instance, if they don't comply, our first point of call will call the, the station manager or even the board of that community radio station, sit down with them and say, you are not complying in these particular areas. We give them a specific period for them to comply. If they don't comply, they are then taken to the triple C where the C will then decide whether they want to put them on air or whether they must get off air or not. For instance, one of the radio stations will find that um, they were broadcasting only in Africans. And yet in the area where they're broadcasting, there are other languages. So even then, you don't just take them off air. You have to sit down with them and try and come up with a. with the solution so that you can assist them to comply. But if they don't want to comply, you are left with no choice but
3: to take them off air. There were complaints at the time from the NCRF and other bodies that ICASA was being unnecessarily harsh.
1: Of course, the, the NCRF will say that because those people are their members. But if you keep on talking to people, for instance, one one case was Phoenix radio station. I remember even in 1996, they were still having issues of compliance. And um, the monitoring officer who was char- in charge of that radio station. You know, you sit down with them. Because remember with community radio stations, community radio station is it's a grassroots broadcasting service. And we, we want to see it flourishing. We want to have people be able to express themselves in their own languages, in their own community. So if you keep on talking to them and saying, comply on A, B, C, D, and they are not complying, you won't have a choice but to take them off. The other issue that we realize when we are doing our workshops, in, when we are doing the community broadcasting service, we find that someone will come to ICASA and say, I want to apply as a community broadcaster. But when you look at how that particular radio station is run, it's run more like a commercial radio station. So, why would you come to CASA and say you want to operate as a community broadcaster? You are given the community broadcasting license, you are given the community broadcasting uh, license terms and conditions, yet you go and you want to compete with a commercial radio station. It doesn't make sense. If you want to, to compete as a commercial broadcaster, apply for a commercial broadcasting license. Don't go via back routes to say, I'm a community broadcasting service yet, you want to operate as a commercial broadcasting service. It doesn't work like that.
3: Sure. Um, and seeing as you raise commercial licenses, um, uh, and uh, I'm sorry that I'm, I'm directing so many questions at you, but there are some current issues right. that <laughs> Um, I mean, there are, as far as I'm aware, there are commercial licenses in the Eastern Cape and the Free State that were issued quite some time ago and still remain unused. Um, what is your CASA's attitude to those, those licenses that were issued?
1: Uh, I remember that our licensing department came up with the, the regulation that said use it or lose it principle, whereby if you are given a spectrum license, And you have been licensed in that particular area, and you are not using that license, you are supposed to lose it. I'm not so sure how far that process is. I know it was something that was being discussed at Casa, where we we had said that if somebody is not using that license, they must lose it so that it can be given to someone who can put it to good
3: use. Isn't it time for those licenses then to be lost and to be given to somebody else?
1: Yeah, I I mean, if you are not using that license, why are you holding it? Because it's like you are holding the spectrum now.
3: Oh, Nadia's agreeing, I think. Mm
1: -hmm. Yeah, absolutely.
0: And I think that the use it to lose it principle was a a very good way forward. Uh, I think it's got to do also with uh, the timeline um, and how much time these uh, licenses are actually provided to make sure that that they go on air. Um, I'm sure if they don't meet the timeline, the regulator has to step in. Uh, the reality again is that there is a squeeze in, for spectrum. And to Violet's point, you know, the reason why people then kind of apply through a community uh, application is people are desperate to, to get access and wanna be on air. Um, and, you know, there really is a limit, especially on kind of the uh, FM band example, for example. So, yeah, but I'm glad that the user to or lose it principle is actually being implemented, Violet, that's great.
1: Yeah.
3: I mean, I've, I'm speaking subject to, cor- to correction here, but I think that the time that has elapsed since those licenses were issued is, re- is a really long time. Um, and one would have thought that that principle would apply at this point. Um, we're, uh, we don't have a great deal of time left, but just a reminder that um, you can send us questions or comments either on the chat or in the, uh, the Q&A section. You can also um, send us uh, voice notes. Um, I've got, uh, I'll give you that number again. If you do want to still send us a voice note it is o double one it's oh seven nine five 79 double double and let's see whether we can get any get some comments into um, into the discussion to do I mean another issue that's been uh, uh, very prominent in the, in the last little while and it has uh, regulatory implications of course is the 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 the, the plan by the SABC to retrench um, I think it's something like 600 staff. Now, of course, those that's um, uh, you know subject to all sorts of processes in terms of the law. Um, I know that SOS have released a statement which uh, which cautions in certain directions, but doesn't come out directly in in um, in, in opposition. Um, do you accept that that's a uh, necessity for the SABC? What kind of a role would you like the regulator to play? Um in ensuring that uh, a good outcome results from uh, this path that the SABC has moved on,
2: I think obviously the the SABC you know the chickens have come to roost for them because this is people forget that this process has been almost twenty four months in the making, if not longer um, we're We're hearing that people you know people were discussing um, the bloated SABC staff for years now. Um, the implication though in terms of uh, regulations and content. Um, immediately, you you think about programming and whether or not you know the SABC will continue to be able to meet its public interest mandate. And that for us is the big um, the big goal here. Which is why when when we, we we stated in our statement is we understand that this is the next difficult step that must be taken because you can't have an organization that is uh, you know spending forty percent of its budget on on salaries. It's just completely unsustainable. And at the same time, spending an even smaller ratio on content production. So while they go through this this process, and it's a very difficult one, they need to still ensure that in the post-COVID environment and in a a digitalized environment, they are still able to meet the public mandate. They're still able to broadcast in our 11 languages. They're still able to meet the health education, public education, um, local music, all of the cultural Uh, imperatives and on pretty much everything that is uh, encompassed in the public interest mandate. That's the big tall order that they need to ensure they'll still have the capacity to deliver on following this, this entire process. Whether they restructure, right size, move people around, retrain, they need to be fit for purpose in terms of the mandate, and they need to be fit for purpose in terms of being able to deliver on platforms and they need to be fit for purpose regarding their business models. you know. So the overhaul is really a multi-pronged one. And I don't think it's, there's any other softer way of doing it. It's time for radical moves. Otherwise, they're going to perpetually be in a cycle of crises.
3: Violet, has the SABC engaged the regulator about these plans? About their retrenchment? About their no. restructuring and retrenchment plans?
1: No, no. They haven't, they haven't.
3: Are you concerned about, as Dudu says, their capacity to continue meeting the mandate?
1: Of course we are concerned because they are the, the only public broadcaster that we have in South Africa. And we are hoping that whatever comes out of the, those retrenchments, it won't be at the cost of their public mandate. Remember as the regulator, we uh, our act, uh stops us from interfering in the day-to-day business of the broadcasters so if they come to it to just be for information sake, but the only thing that we deal or how we deal with them is in terms of their mandate but how they run their business we are not supposed to interfere with that
3: so oh. Um I've got a it is of course a, d- a difficult um uh, situation to be in because uh you know the, the funding sur- s- sources as we are are very un- unsure, as we've said earlier. Um I've uh, there's one question here from Hannonskral. Um somebody uh Jonas Towana says we don't have a community radio. Um would it be possible to apply for a radio station there? Violet, a very quick response to that. Uh.
1: And if they are frequencies available for Hammond's girl, there's nothing stopping them from applying. Because even in the in our COVID-19 regulations, we have like we have relaxed those to say people can apply, especially for if you want a license. So we won't be putting like strict regulations as to this is when you must apply, but we have that flexibility to say they can apply provided if there is a, a thing, the, the frequency is available in that particular area. I don't see why they shouldn't apply.
3: Okay, thank you very much. In the closing seconds, I'm, I'm going to give it to Nadia. Um, the future of regulation. Is it a single regulator that covers everything? Is it no regulation? Just in, a, in yeah, your final thoughts.
0: I think there'll always be regulation. And there'll always be a regulator. Uh, I think what it will be in the future is still to be determined. Um, I think we mustn't forget that if there's one industry that has really stuck to the transformation agenda, it's the broadcasting industry. Um, Licensing happened, you know, as we emerged into our democracy in 93, 94. Uh, Transformation has been high on the agenda. This is an industry that's extremely robust, extremely competitive, continues to deliver on the public service mandate. And and I am so absolutely proud of how, how far we've come in 27 years.
3: A great place um, to call a halt to the discussion. Thank you very much to everyone. Thanks to the panelists, to Nadia Bulbulia, to Drodwe Tsang uh, Makuse and Violet Moleti uh, for the discussion. Thanks also to the CAS Media uh, program that supported us as well as the other program, the other supporters that I mentioned at the beginning. Also, thanks to the team behind the scenes. A reminder, please to have a look at our program, radiodaysafrica.co.za. Tomorrow, we have a very interesting session called Online and On-Demand Podcasts for Africa. Thank you very much.
0: Thank you. Thank you. Thank, Thank you everyone. for joining Bye. this Radio Days Africa session. Click to watch or download the podcast. Radio. That was a Radio Days Africa podcast brought to you by the Vitz Radio Academy.